Welcome to the Sales Career Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Hopp. Whether you're an executive, sales leader, or just getting your career in sales started, I'm here to help you read between the lines and hear the real stories that you can't get from a resume or from a LinkedIn profile, all designed to help you shape your own sales career. Let's dive right into today's episode and see what we can learn. My name is Colin Mitchell. Welcome to, I'm going to be the guest host today. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Kevin Hopp is your host on other days. And today we're going to be focusing on Kevin's sales career story. So Kevin, welcome to your own podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks (laughs) thanks for having me here. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, I'm really excited to get going here. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by people's stories, and I think that's going to be the bedrock of what this is all about, um, particularly in sales, right? Uh, it's, a, it's a really big, broad thing to say. When people say, like, I'm in sales, yeah. they could work at a bank. They could work in software sales. They could work at a car lot, you know? Um, I've heard some really, really interesting stories, right? Like uh, last summer, quick story, last yeah. summer, uh, I was at my uncle's lake house in North Carolina, South Carolina, and uh, we he had a guy over. The guy's like, yeah, uh, so Kevin, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a sales consultant. He's like, oh, I work in sales. I was like, cool, what What do you sell? And he's like, I sell the, the parts that people use to manufacture aluminum smelting machines. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that is the most specific sales job I've ever heard. Because his parts, they're designed to melt. Mm. So like nothing can withstand an aluminum smelting process. So he's constantly selling something to people. And he's like, this won't last like at least 90 days. Because he knows that they're going to use it in a, in a furnace and it's going to melt. Mm. It's really like, so, so that just got me kind of thinking of like, man, we all have our own stories in sales. We all have... Um, almost no one has this linear straight line, right? Especially in today's day and age, right? You know, my, my uncle might listen to this. He has that straight line. He's been at one firm his whole career. And he's had different jobs. He'll argue with me and be like, no, 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 man. I, I had a bunch of different jobs. But he's the one one firm the whole time. Yeah. And now he's in sales. And, and he he is now, a, you know, executive vice president. And he's going to retire there. But that's so rare, right? Like that's not, that's not the way sales careers work anymore so i'm really uh really excited to kind of i guess tell my story today and uh kick off uh, a series talking about other people's stories and see what we can all learn from it yeah i mean some would argue that we're all in sales whether we want to admit it or not right oh that's a meta take are we all in sales though if you if you, if you don't have a quota are you in sales <clears throat> i don't know most right? people in sales aren't hitting their quota for anyway so what's Ooh, that's 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 a good point um i don't know I, I i used to get butthurt when people would say like we're all on sales because i'm like you're not the one who's gonna get fired if you miss quota all right like yeah um because i've worked in some cutthroat jobs i've worked in some not so cutthroat jobs uh but to your point yeah we all should be in sales especially if you're if you're in business right if you work in a for-profit entity you should be in sales because sales in general is the idea of how do we, you know, take what we have and get it to our customer base, right? It doesn't have to be cold outbound. It can be a relationship. How can you just help solve people's problems in a way that they're using what you have? Yeah. And that, that's, that's sales in the most elemental level. Or how can you sell your colleague on your idea? 
I mean, yeah, if you want to talk about that, yeah. How do you sell your wife to marry you? How do you oh. sell your daughter to eat her vegetables? Yeah, well, geez, <laughs> you know, everyone, uh, all, all my friends and family know that I was born to be a salesperson. Well, I will tell you yeah. that you will question whether sales is for you or not when you've got to tell your daughter it's bedtime and it's time to eat your vegetables. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah, my daughter is too young at this point, but, uh, you know, one of these days she'll she'll talk back. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> all right, so let's let's jump into the Kevin Hopp sales career story. Take us back. Where did it all start? It's a good question. Um, I think what's really important about my story is to like look at where it came from before the working world, right? Mm. So I went to junior college and, uh, you know, going to junior college um, was never something I saw myself doing. So I I felt kind of right away that I was, you know, kind of a failure, to be honest Mm. with you. I was like, shoot, I I guess I don't want to go to the only school I got into is Sonoma State University. You know, shout out Seawolves to everyone out there. But uh, I, I didn't want to go. I was like, not not ready to to leave the house and didn't think that was the place for me. So I went to junior college and then uh, transferred to UC Santa Barbara, go Gauchos. And while I was at UCSB, I was a psychology major. And uh, every time I tell people that, they're like, oh, uh, psychology of sales, you were probably thinking of, you know, that that's why you did it because you want to understand people and understand how to sell to them, right? And the truth is, absolutely not. I just thought it was interesting. I just mm. thought that uh, I thought that the topics were interesting. It was the the courses I took in junior college that I leaned forward the most, and I was like, "Oh wow!" Like there's theories around the way people think. There's theories around the way people act the way they act. So I had no intention on getting into sales at all when I was in college. What um, What is it about psychology and just people in general that you were so curious about while in college? Um, I, I think, uh, I'm very extroverted, right? Uh, by the purest definition of extrovert, like the definition of introvert and extrovert, it's not just, are you a people person or you're not, but how do you recharge your batteries? Right? Like that's, that's what I learned in school, right? I always thought that extrovert just means you talk a lot. I'm like, ah, yeah. well, I talk a lot, but it also means that, um, where you get the most, uh, satisfaction where you feel the most comfortable mm-hmm. like people a lot of people that's like I need my meditation I need to be alone I need to do yoga I need to read a book that's not me I, I need to be with people talking to people learning about people's stories like whatever it is right ask my wife I'm constantly on the weekend saying like where, where can we go you know what can we do who can we call like I'm, I'm that guy I'm the planner and and none of the none of my friends in my friend group make plans because they know I do hmm. Like they, they don't even reach out at this point anymore. They, they just know that I'm going to reach out to them. And then we, we plan from there. Um, so I think it was just that nature of being super curious about humans and a really healthy uh, distrust for like mathematics and science. <laughs> mm. The hard sciences like chemistry and, and uh, math and stuff. Like our brain doesn't work that way. It's, it's interesting, right? Like my dad's a mechanical engineer, PhD, brilliant guy. But I'm not. I just don't have a math brain. Like I don't. I don't do mental math very well. Um, all my teachers lied to me growing up. They said, "Well, you gotta get good at mental math. You're not always gonna have a calculator." <laughs> Jokes on you. I'm, I've got three thousand dollars in technology within one foot of my person at all times, including on important sales calls, including, you know, in all the important moments. So um, that's kind of why I leaned into that. So in college. I did four internships, 
four and only in two years of college because I transferred. So when I transferred to UCSB, I, I became obsessed with like, okay, what do I want to do? The first thing I did, I got an internship in the program, in the psychology department program. Mm -hmm. So I was the, the assistant to the chair of the department because the first thing I wanted to check off my box was, do I want to be a psychologist or do I want to study psychology? And I figured out within the first six months, I don't want to do that. I learned a lot about academia, a lot about the back workings of it. And like, I just, was, I looked at all of it and was like, this doesn't do it. Like, it's not interesting to me. Um, then I did an internship at a software company called Entreport, still out there. It's in Santa Barbara. Great, great, great little company. Um, very much, it was an unpaid internship. Like you showed up and they had like a curriculum for you. I didn't learn a whole lot, um, to be honest. But I was starting to like dip the waters into like, what is this technology stuff all about, right? Mm. Then that summer, I did an internship with Target, like Target stores. Okay. So there is no Target in Santa Barbara for those of you out there in California. So I stayed in Isla Vista. I stayed in Santa Barbara over the summer and I drove to Oxnard every day. And I would work nine to 10 hour days at the Oxnard Target and drive back, which is about an hour and 10 minutes both ways. So I just crushed it, put a bunch of miles on my Corolla. Um, and I leaned into the idea of, hey, I love people, I'm a people person. Maybe I need to be a tactical manager, right? Because Target is like as tactical of management as you can possibly get. It's like they have a very militaristic hierarchy at Target. It's like there's the general who runs the store. Then there's like the division leaders, which are the people that run the different parts of the store. Like the these people run the the equipment. These people run the clothing. These people run the, the food, right? And then underneath them, they have sergeants that run their groups. And it was, I love that militaristic hierarchy. Made it very clear in my head. And I interned at like the... The, I guess like VP level or whatever, like the one below the general manager of the store. But I figured out that retail is a freaking grind, man. Like, <laughs> And how long did you stick with that? It was a three-month program. It was just the summer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just the summer. And then um, at the end of it, you're supposed to get a job offer. I didn't get an offer. So I failed. Like I, I didn't meet their requirements to, to get the offer. And they they boast that like 95% of the people that go through the program do get the offer. So that kind of double, triple told me that like, this isn't for me, mm. you know? Like the tactical management of being in a, a retail environment and wearing the red and khaki every day. That must have been tough, like making that drive for three months yeah, for Target yeah, and then not getting the offer. What were you feeling in that moment? Um, it, I mean, it's, uh, it was brutal. It was brutal. You know, like I, I gave him my all. I tried hard, um, tried really hard and, uh, it wasn't the right thing for me. It was, uh, you know, hard to swallow pills. Right. And, and I think a lot like everyone else out there, I've, I've had to eat a lot of those. Right. The first one was being in junior college and getting a 3.85 GPA and buying all the UCLA swag thinking I'm going to UCLA and not getting in. That mm -hmm. was a hard to swallow pill. Like I thought, yeah, go junior college, crush it. Um, they have a whole program where it's like, if you have over a three, seven, five GPA, they, they like virtually guarantee it's like really high chance. I still didn't get it. Right. Like, but wasn't it even before that, even just going to the junior college? Yeah. That was a hard to swallow pill. You were already swallowing that hard pill. Yeah. Didn't get into UCLA. Yeah. Didn't get the target gig. Yeah. Then you were at that point, most people would have felt pretty defeated. Yeah, but you can't 
you can't have that attitude, right? Like, uh, I think, uh, the, the worst, the worst trait that I have is I need to experience things for myself. <laughs> I have a hard time. I don't read a lot of books. I should read more books. I, I do most of my, um, information absorbing through podcasts and, and online and stuff like that. Right. But I don't read a lot of books. So I learned the hard way. On so many. I things. think some people call that being stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason I know it. the only reason that I know that is because I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, even if somebody tells you something a hundred times until you experience it, you don't get it. That's right. Yeah. So so I've done that so many times, and we haven't even started talking about like the career work stuff. Like, there's there's a lot more hard to swallow pills there too. But um, each time, like I've, I, it, it's a really clear trajectory of what I've done going up and to the right in terms of I take, I take that L, you know, oh, shoot, I didn't get the target job. And I look at it as a learning moment where I'm like, look, I just don't want to be in retail. Like I, it's kind of a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Because even if I had gotten that job, like they tell you, yeah, you're not going home for Thanksgiving. You're not going to be with your family for Christmas. Black Friday, you're here for 36 hours straight, you uh, know, stuff like that where I'm like, I just... I don't really care if people get their TV on sale or not today. Like I just don't, it's not like in me to like be all excited about that, you know? So I, I took that um, L, went into my senior year, and then I got another internship. This internship was in customer success at a company called Invoca, software company, still in Santa Barbara. Um, they had just raised a series, I want to say their series A or series B. Back then, it was a huge round of like 15, 20 million. Um, and that was like Silicon Valley, right? Like it was like everyone had the branded Patagonias and laptops and MacBooks with the stickers on them and everything. And I was just <laughs> like, yo, this is cool. Oh, beer on tap in the break room, big beanbag chairs everywhere. It was really, really cool. Um, and that that got me very, very solidly thinking, okay, I'm going to be in SaaS. That's what I'm going to do because I, I like this. And I was interested in the software. I thought it was really, really, you know, interesting stuff. And then um, it was easy for me to do the work of the job, meaning like I'm, I'm tech savvy, right? So I'm like flying around on the MacBook and I know how to use all these different software programs. I'm like, okay, so I can do this, you know? And it felt interesting and fun and entertaining to go into the office every day. So what know? were you doing in that internship in a customer success role? Yeah, so I was sitting <clears> on the <throat> opposite side of the office from the salespeople. Why is that important? Because I kept hearing all the noise and the fun that salespeople had. And mm. I would be like, what, what's going on over there? Why, why are they all cheering? Like, what's, did they just, did they just ring a gong? What does that mean? You know? And I, I'm attracted to that energy, right? Mm. Um, the, the piece of the, the piece that we didn't talk about here, this, uh, I also played high school football. So I'm not a collegiate athlete. People always say like, oh, look for D1 athletes to make great salespeople. Well, dude, if you, if you played serious sports at any point, you're probably going to be a good salesperson because you have that competitive drive. I'm yeah. very driven. And I'm very, very competitive. Um, and that that was kind of born in me in high school football. I played all four years. CIF winning team, Maricosta High School. Shout out. Um, and uh, I believe you still have your helmet. I still have my helmet. There's actually a famous YouTube video of me wearing my helmet, making cold calls. <laughs> yes. And uh, I sell my my championship ring too. I wear that during the during the season from time to time. Um, but uh, where's it going with this? So I, I, I that internship in customer success, 
I was basically doing grunt work for a customer success manager that would say like, because they sold MarTech software. So it was call tracking and analytics software. So it's like a brand like, you know, 1-800-Windows.com or something like that. They would pay Invoca for the software to track the phone calls that came to that 1-800 number and attribute that it was driven by X or Y marketing campaign. Yeah. So like my, my CSM uh, would say, hey, uh, for this campaign, they're trying to tell from this batch of 100 calls, you know, which ones are real conversions and which ones are false positives. And we're double checking the software. So I'd listen to 100 calls a day, you know, I'd go in there and listen to them. And this, this kind of starts a theme in my career, too, of like being obsessed with like the idea that the phone is such an easy, clear, like the most clear and direct and fastest way to communicate with people was the phone. And I learned that by listening to like 100 calls a day doing this internship. Now, I wasn't calling anybody, mm-hmm. but I was just listening to these phone calls go on and how much you can get done quickly on the phone. I was like, ooh, okay, save that in the memory bank. Um, but uh, yeah, so I had that I had that internship all the way through the end of, of, uh, end of college, moved downtown, and then um, it ended. So let's go back for a second there. When you were working in that role, doing this, you know, grunt work for the for the customer success manager, yeah, listening to these calls, probably was based on what you've told me. I thought I would think was pretty interesting for you with like that psychology background and that curiosity of people yeah. listening to the way that they communicate and how things got done. But then seeing the salespeople over there having fun, ringing the gong, having that energy. Did you feel sort of pulled towards that? Oh, for sure. For sure. I remember thinking like they would hire BDRs, SDRs, whatever they were calling them at the time. Uh, they'd hire them in batches. And then when they would hire a batch of SDRs, I would be like, man. And I'd go on the, those dudes like LinkedIn's and like stalk who they are and, and be like, I could get this job. I, I could totally do this. Like, this is so cool. And I thought that it was like the coolest thing in the world. They were getting mm. these SDR jobs. And I was so jealous. I was like, oh man, I want to be an SDR. Because it just looked like fun. Like they had, they're making noise. They, they, they were, they were the ones that went out way more, you know? Like, hey, we're going to State Street. And I'd go hang out with them and get to know them a little bit. But um, I felt like it was at, at that company in particular, it would have been a little, maybe this is all me projecting, but it would have been a little weird if I had asked to, to transition over there or to become a salesperson. And I was also kind of scared of what if I have to cold call? Mm. What, what if it like, what if, what if people say no? You know, I, I had that genuine fear of not knowing anything about ever doing like a raw sales role, you know, because all these internships I did were not in like sales sales. I guess Target was sales, right? Like I know how to work the, te- the cash register at Target and how to tell you where to find the sweatshirts. but And what um, TVs are on sale. And what TVs are on <laughs> sale. Like, I definitely know that. But most of these internships were, were doing basic like work work stuff. Yeah. Hey, Kevin, we need this, you know, take this document over here and copy and paste this thing. And I'm like, all right, cool. I can do that. But I figured out in college, I don't want to have a job like that. Mm. Like it didn't, didn't tick something for me it didn't excite me right and i just have this kind of personality where like if i'm not excited by it i'm not doing it like i just can't well it seems like all these internships were sort of like very just a discovery process for you like oh, for sure checking boxes nope don't yeah. want to do that yeah nope don't want to do that right 
Um, but I'm curious, right? So y- y- you didn't, you were, you, you had some fear around not saying like, Hey, I'd love to join the sales team, but you were also listening to those calls, right? <laughs> like you're listening to the good ones, the bad ones. And I'm sure that that sort of field like, wow, I don't think I could do that. Um, in a way, I, I thought that I, I could, I was worried about training, right? Like I was worried that like I get thrown into something and not know. Cause like what I liked and what was comfy about the CSM stuff was like, sure. I know how to use Google sheets. Sure. I know how to, you know, I, I learned how to use Salesforce pretty quickly. And if you're tech savvy and you understand modern UIs, like it's not that hard, you know? And I had like a mastery of it and I was like, oh, okay, this is like easy. I, I know how to run in this world. You know, I can check these boxes really quickly in my day to day and be satisfactory, you know. Um, but I definitely had that itch to get into sales because they were just having more fun. Yeah. You know. So what happened when that internship came to an end? Uh, that that internship came to an end a little <laughs> bit unexpectedly. Right. So this is another hard to swallow pill that, um, you know, what, do you just keep those in your medicine cabinet? Hard to swallow pills. <laughs> Look like you and me, we need to learn that way. Like that's uh, in the bank, dude. Yeah. That's, that's in the, that's in the noggin forever. Um, I told him that I had a job offer as a way <laughs> to try and leverage mm. my situation. So I was an hourly employee. This mm. is a great learning moment for anyone listening. I was an hourly employee. And I really wanted to be a salaried employee because I wanted to just have, you know, make it easier, right? And punching a time card, even digitally, is kind of weird. And I was like, uh, hey, so, you know, I started having a conversation internally. I had it with like my boss, had it with the head of HR and said like, yeah, is that in the cards for me? Like, I really like this company. I feel like I'm doing well at the role. Like I want a salaried job. And they said, oh, we got to think about it. And then to put pressure on them, I thought I was like leveraging something. I said, well, I'm talking to other companies and I have another salary to offer. So I, I, I really want to work here though. I made that very clear. Mm. And instead, <clears throat> instead they said, go work at that other company. They're giving you a salary job. And they ended my internship. <laughs> mm. Joke's on me. Were you were you hoping to actually get a salary job or were you hoping that maybe they would offer you a sales job? I, I hadn't talked about the sales thing yet, right? Like, cause that, the, the departments were on the opposite side of the office, so I didn't really like know any of the sales dudes. You mm. know, I didn't know. I, I didn't know the management well. I didn't. Yeah. I was uncomfortable with that. So I was hoping that they would say, "Oh yeah, no, let's just move this to a salary. It's a little bit of a little bit of a raise, but not like too much of a raise. Like, let's do that, and it'd be more comfortable for me, mm. right? Um, ipso facto, don't negotiate if you don't have alternatives." Right. It could not go your way really quickly. And they were in a weird place as a company, right? Like they let go of some other interns at the same time. And it was no harm, no foul. They didn't do anything wrong. It's just like we're restructuring. We overspent on some things here and there. That VP didn't last very long. That VP of customer success that laid me off, by the way, just anecdotally. It's just it, mm. it was a weird time for the company. Um, no animosity. It's just the way the way it happened. And it was blessing disguise, right? So after that, I was a lift driver for the rest of the summer. This is back in the heydays of Lyft, man, like 2014. Um, and uh, I was a Lyft driver with my Corolla, and I would like start working every Friday and work until Sunday night and make like three grand a month. And I was fine. I floated for a while. But I was I was trying to get into software sales and, and software in general. So I went on angellist.com and uh, made a profile. 
and I started getting really active. And I found a company down in San Diego that was looking to hire like a, like a, what was it called? Like an account manager job or something like that. But it was a tiny seed stage startup mm-hmm. and there was no employees, one employee, the CEO. And I reached out to him on LinkedIn directly. I didn't apply online. Mm. And this is another big tip of how I've gotten basically all of my good gigs is not waiting in line, not applying online. I just reached out to him directly and said, hey, like we should talk. Like I think this is really interesting. So it was a company called Dizzle, which is a really funny name. <laughs> and uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's still around. It might still be around. Uh, but I got hired as the first employee. So my first job out of college technically was I was the first employee at a seed stage startup which was really, really cool. So you were sales hire number one. I was hire number one. <laughs> there was no one else there. It was the CEO who had you know equity in the company and me, and I was the only employee. Um, the CTO and the tech people were like part-time. They were just doing it as kind of a side hustle. It was a real estate technology app. So we had a white label app process so we can make real estate agents their own mobile apps. So mm. we can make the Colin Mitchell app. Um, it was really cool. So I got to do everything, right? I was the product manager. I was the guy who would literally like, okay, someone came in the website, they ordered their app, they paid. Now I reach out to them, get the design. I use Photoshop to design the icon. Then I put it into the white label process, which then pops out files I need to put into Apple and and Google Play Store. And then when their apps go live, I have to put them into this whole thing and send it to them and teach them how to use the app. I designed our training materials. I went to the trade shows. I started writing on a real estate technology blog. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I got way into it and I just loved it. Like it was, it was really, really cool to go in every day and be like, I have an idea for something. And my CEO would be like, yeah, just do it. That's fine. As long as it didn't cost a lot of money. He was, we were, we were tight on cash. Like we were, you know, seed stage startup with uh, low revenue. We had revenue, which wasn't a lot. So in this role, <clears throat> Were you mainly dealing with inbound leads? Were you doing any outbound? Yeah, so so I, this is where I started outbound. Um, we had some inbound leads, right? We had a cool looking website and stuff. And the biggest thing that we were doing for inbound was writing. So um, the CEO wrote for the real estate technology blog before I did, and then he introduced me because he was getting busy and was like, we need to continue to put out content here. But we would get a ton of leads just from that. Like we'd publish an article. If you go deep enough on my LinkedIn, you could find this. It's Inman News. It's a pretty well-known publication for real estate agents. Mm. And I wrote like eight articles for them. And they they got lots of play. Like because I was a young millennial. I'd talk about like how real estate agents should be using Snapchat when they're selling houses. I'd write articles about that, right? I wrote about the Zillow Trulia merger. I wrote about all this stuff. Um and uh, when we didn't have inbound, we started thinking about growth hacky ways to go outbound. So we we did some we did some cool stuff, right? Like we did like uh, this is back when Tout App was still around. I think they got acquired by someone, but Tout App used to have this awesome thing. It's an email sending tool. So we'd load up a bunch of people to send emails to real estate agents. We would scrape their listings or active listings, and then we'd have their email address and their name. We'd put that in the Tout App, and the subject line would be. You're listing at 123 Main Street. <laughs> the open rate was 98%. Every real estate agent is going to open that email. Yeah. So then with TowDap, I could see in real time, they had this like bar that popped up on the side. I could see in real time when people would open them. And then I would click on that agent's Zillow profile, find their cell phone number, and call them like that. 
Wow. It was really cool. It was really cool. And that's where I, I started to really get the bug for sales because I was like, wow, this is fun. And then I, I would get some commission. I would, get, I would get some commission if I could get someone to sign up. And uh, I tell you what, salespeople out there listening, there is nothing like calling someone out of the blue and getting credit card information. Yeah. Like that is like the most raw form of sales. What, and, what was the sales process? Would they sign up on the spot? Yeah. Yeah. I'd get them to sign up on the spot. 30 bucks a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. 30 bucks a month for your own white label mobile app. Um, what do you think? Why, why wouldn't you give this a shot? Basically is the pitch, right? Yeah. Uh, and then you find these real estate agents that are like tech savvy and they loved it. Like they would, they would eat it up. Right. And then we pivoted our business model and that was actually, that was really fun because we pivoted the business model from being like the Colin Mitchell app and the Chris app and the Steven app. And we pivoted it to be the brokerage app. So the whole, like a, a you know, Cobalt Bank or San Diego app. And then we would sell that what the app was is a vendor list. So it's like the idea was a, a real estate agent would give you the app. They'd have all their preferred vendors. Here's my flooring guy. Here's my AC guy. Here's mm. a, you know, becoming a local expert, right? Yeah. It's, it's a big deal for real estate agents. Um, but the, when we pivoted, I got to sell to the vendors. So what we did was we flipped the model and said, hey, let's sell one app and then monetize it just like Yelp. It was like Angie's List, mm. that model. So that was like high volume cold calling, right? That was like, I'd bang out, you know, 80, 90 calls a day uh, using click to dial before I knew how to use auto dialers or that they were even a thing. But then I'm calling like Bob the plumber. I'm calling Steve the flooring guy and I'm calling, you know, and that was really interesting. And I'm selling him advertising space, selling him space in the app, promising him the world. Like it was, it was really fun. How long did you stay at that role? Um, I stayed at that role. It was like a year and a half, year and a half. You did a lot in a short time. I did so much. I did so much. And I got to travel to trade shows and like I was the trade show guy. So like I would, you know, be dressed up and, and stand at the booth all day collecting credit cards or not credit cards, business cards. And, or credit and, cards. You know, or credit cards. I'll take a credit card. <laughs> uh, but uh, I did so much in a year and a half. It was, it was really, really fun. Um, I'm curious because, you know, a lot of times maybe somebody trying to get into sales, right? Yeah. They can want to work at the company that, you know, has the cool swag, has the, you know, cool snack bar, bean bags, whatever, yeah. you know. But it sounds like in that role, like the experience itself was worth more than, you know, getting a more, you know, typical path that somebody like trying to get into sales or specifically trying to get into SaaS sales. For sure. Yeah. Like, and I think, um, it, it was just a continuation of what I was doing in college, right? Like if you, you think, look at what I've always done, I've always been like, I have to go see for myself if this is for me. So mm. I had to go try and be a product manager. And I love those meetings. I think product management is really, really cool. Um, I don't know if I'm technical enough to really be a product manager, but as a, someone who studied psychology, it's like the intersection of technology and psychology. How do you get how do you make this app more useful yeah. for your users and for people and like UX UI design? Fascinating stuff. Love it. There's there's even people taking that same sort of like process or style of doing things and trying to just have salespeople sell that way. Yeah. Right? The way that product managers build products have salespeople sell that way. Like PLG? Mm, no, it's it's um I was listening to a podcast recently 
and they were really going into like, you know, how product managers understand people and psychology and stuff like that. And really taking some of those learnings and the ways that they map things out into the sales process. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you stayed there for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Do you, I feel like at this point, after, after taking many hard to swallow pills, <laughs> yeah. does Kevin feel like, yeah, this, this is what I'm born to do. A little bit. Yeah. So, so after, after leaving there, I, you know, one of the things I looked at was what does it look like to get a career going in product management? And I, I interviewed for mm. a few junior product management roles and I figured out it's a little bit too technical for me, like mm. the ones I interviewed for at least. And then I interviewed for, um, like customer support roles. Cause I was doing customer support too. Like mm. I admined our Zendesk, you know? Like I had a very deep knowledge on like the structure and the strategy of why you create a whole support program. And I, I, the job offers I got were just low salary with no, mm. no cash. And I'm then not, I, I'm actually really curious because the stuff that you did in that short period of time, yeah. sounds like the sales aspect of the job is really what recharged you or lit you up. Yeah. Right. But you also enjoyed the customer support and the project management and you went for those roles. I'm wondering why. Why maybe, didn't you go for a sales role? Maybe I was still scared. I was still intimidating. I think it can be intimidating to think about like, yeah, I'm going to go into sales and have quota and uh, you know have to hit a number like that. I didn't have a quota because I had so many other jobs. It wasn't a real sales job, like real, yeah. right? We were talking about that earlier. Like yeah. if you have a quota, are you in sales? Like, I don't know. Um, some people argue no. Um, so then I interviewed to be an SDR at a company downtown San Diego that had the free beer on tap and the shirts and the $12 million of VC money. And that was really, really cool. I got, I jumped into actual SaaS sales. Um, and I was a SDR at a company called mind touch downtown San Diego. And that was like, so fun. It was really, really fun. Um, cause they hired a bunch of dudes that were, you know, we had an SDR team of like at one point, like 12 and we were all, you know, it, it was 90% men and we were all within five to eight years of the same age, you know, and we all hung out on the weekends and we all, you know, we were like a brotherhood. It was really, mm-hmm. really fun. And that's where I fell in love with sales because I was like, I can do this. Like the, the energy of a, of a calling pit, right, of mm-hmm. a BDR team of like celebrating like one guy walking around saying like, I crushed that demo, high fives, you know. Hey, got that meeting and everyone's like, yeah, fist bumps and stuff. And I was like, this is like a team sport. It felt mm. like a team sport. And it, I fell in love with that whole energy and vibe. And um, it reminded you of your football days. It did, for sure. For sure. Were you rocking the helmet in the pit? <sighs> I was not rocking the helmet in the you pit. You should have been. I should have been. <laughs> I, I would have messed some people up with that helmet and like headbutting and stuff. <laughs> but um, so once I once I figured out sales was for me, right? Um I've since what, what what leads kind of all the way to where I am today is like falling in love with I I figured out that I'm in love with the process. I'm in love with the game. I'm mm. in love with how to do this better. How to like get better meetings, get more qualified opportunities, close better deals faster, bigger, right? The whole process is what I became really obsessed about and I figured out that companies come and go. <laughs> To put it nicely, right? Like, yeah, there's 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 a hundred thousand companies you can work for and sell stuff for, and um, 
that's kind of why I'm in consulting today is because I like working with a lot of different companies and just being obsessed with certain pieces of that puzzle, the sales puzzle. Mm. And so it's interesting because there's a lot of people that think like, oh, you got to be passionate about what you sell, right? And it sounds like you're, you don't really care what you sell. You're passionate about selling. That's right. Or the process or the puzzle or making small changes for bigger wins. That's right. That's right. And I, I would, you know, I, I've heard this a lot. And, and <clears> when <throat> I talk to people in my life that I know that when I tell them I'm a sales consultant, they're like, oh, wow, I could, I don't know if I could ever sell anything. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and then they always stay, they follow that up with, well, if I really believed in it, I could sell it. I'm like, well, sure, right? Like, you know, if you really believe in anything, you can sell it. But it's not the way capitalism is designed necessarily, right? Like, um, so I, I, yeah, I, I'm less passionate. I can seem super passionate about whatever I'm selling. I can turn that on. It's a gift, mm. right? I've coached over 50 businesses on how to sell their product outbound. And outbound is the most raw form of sales because you are no assumptions, no assumptions. When I'm calling you, you are thinking, who are you and why the f are you calling me? And then I have to get over that hump. Then I got to tell you a story that aligns with you to make you feel like I called you. I didn't call you as a name on a list. It's not a telemarketing thing. It's not advertising. This is sales. And I need to get into a topic-driven conversation with you. And so I, I just, I, I'm obsessed with that. That's what I'm obsessed with. How do I teach more people to sell like that? Where do you think a lot of people go wrong in their outbound strategies? I mean, I think the number one the number one problem is probably <clears throat> the number one problem in outbound is is probably the the strategy, right? If you think about or strategy, lack of. <laughs> yeah, lack thereof, right? So like the the laziest thing, like that a lot of I've seen some like dudes with some big titles and these careers, and this is part of why I'm starting this podcast because I'm so interested in how people get to where they've gotten in sales. Like it's yeah. so it's fascinating to me. And some of these people where I'm like, yeah, you should be someone that knows their stuff. You should know how to tell the story, you know, mm -hmm. about your company and this. And the way they talk, they say things like, yeah, it's a it's an incredibly game-changing thing and if you could just give me 15 minutes, I would love to show you this. <laughs> and and I, I sit there and I'm like, that's the laziest thing you could ever say. It's the laziest mm. thing you could ever say With a lot in a of selling conversation. A ton of assumptions. Yeah. Well, we'll think about that state. If you break that statement down, it's me, 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 followed by me, 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 and something that's great for me. And then give me some of your time. And then give me something from you. <laughs> like, what if I just showed up and I'm like, hey, I, I'm, I'm the greatest thing in the world. Like, you need to hang out with me. You need to hang out with me. When do you want to hang out with me? Mm. What? I don't want to hang out with you. I don't even know you. I don't even know you. Why don't I hang out with you? I'm going to hang out with someone else, right? So um, that, and that's kind of where my, my psychology background comes in is the mm. idea of like the best way to communicate is not to talk about yourself the whole time. So put things in context for people. Tell stories, right? Mm. Bring them into something to where it makes logical sense, right? One of the things that I talked to SDRs about, um, they think that like coffee is for closers, right? And the whole idea of like cold calling is to like, Push, push, push. You got to ask. You got to get five no's before you hang up the phone. Like I, I push a, a completely different agenda. My agenda is if it doesn't make logical sense, thank them for their time and hang up. Yeah. And reps are like, well, 
aren't I supposed to get a meeting? How am I going to get a meeting if I hang up? Well, they, they just told you they have a solution to the problem that you solve. They're happy with it and they're not in a buying cycle. Why would you bend them over the, the, the chair trying to get a meeting? Don't do that. Walk away. Even if you get the meeting, it's not going to, it's not going to go anywhere. That's right. That's right. So that, that's where this obsession comes with of like, get good meetings that turn into good opportunities that turn into great customers Yeah. instead of what most people think cold calling is, which is like just begging, right? Like I, I teach my, my, anyone that I consult with, I teach them to have a forward leaning posture, meaning you're in control. You understand what's going on. You understand exactly what's going to happen in this call. What could happen there? You know, before you pick up the phone, they're not interested. Okay. They're not yeah. interested. That's not an answer. It's not acceptable. Don't be outcome. surprised. Don't be surprised yeah. when you hear they're not interested. Of course, I know that you would have called me if you're interested, right? Yeah. Um, things like that that make it, uh, it it makes the job enjoyable, right? Yeah. It makes it something that that uh, sales reps don't despise and they don't um, fear anymore. All right. So before we get to the three final questions, just tell people that are tuning in why are you doing the podcast and what can they expect in the podcast. Yeah, I'm doing this podcast because I have a genuine, you know, curiosity in uh, human stories, right? Um, I'm inspired by by guys like Joe Rogan, honestly, who who just has people on that tell their stories, and I think um, especially the following I have on LinkedIn and and Twitter and things like that, like thousands and thousands of people that probably have some of the same questions I do when they look at an SVP of sales, they look at a guy who just got the the hottest sales job at the biggest startup, um, you know, and they think, how did you get there? Right. Yeah. Or you see that CRO and the company sells, right? Mm-hmm. My favorite thing is when you find the CRO where the company sells and then he changes LinkedIn to sabbatical <laughs> or traveling. And you're like, yeah, like I just had a liquidity event. He just did it. Yeah. That's why we're all playing the game. He had a liquidity event. He's got six, 10, 20 million in the bank and he is traveling with his family. So what we all want to do. If you're in the software sales game, right? I'm mm-hmm. talking to very specifically. So I want to un- uncover some of those stories and, and hopefully share people's, other people's stories in a way that uncovers useful things for anyone who's listening, right? Whether you're a, a CEO trying to figure out like, what kind of salespeople should I hire? What kind of yeah. background should I look for? If you're a VP of sales and you're thinking, I got to build an outbound team, I got to build an inbound team, I got to look for these specific sorts of people Maybe I can have those sorts of people on my podcast. They can learn more about those sorts of backgrounds. Or if you're a rep, if you're thinking about getting into sales or if you're in sales, you're not sure if it's for you. You want to learn about you know what other sales jobs are like. I don't want to just interview SaaS people. Like most of the people I'm going to interview are going to be SaaS because that's most of my following and most people who I know. But I'm totally going to find like someone who sells copiers and and someone who, uh, you know. What someone, about your uncle? Um, yeah, maybe my uncle. Yeah, he he does he does like money management. That could be a good one. Or um, you said when you're at your uncle's lake house, so the person who sells the yes, the <laughs> aluminum <laughs> smelting. So like he sells the poles that go into the aluminum smelting machine. Yeah, like it's such a weirdly specific sales job. I'm like that is beautiful, man. And How do does, you get into selling smelting pieces? <laughs> yeah, like that is so interesting to me that he yeah. ended up there and he loves that job. And he told me he makes good money. Yeah. I mean, he's got a nice lake house on, on a nice lake with a nice boat. I'm like, all right, well, shoot. There's so many ways to make money in this in this career, you know? Yeah. All right. You ready for it? 
I was born ready for this. And, and Here we go. to those tuning in, you can expect this on every episode. I think that this is a really important piece of uh, building consistency. Number one, what's your biggest commission check? The biggest single commission check I've ever received was $19,000. Boom. That was a month. That was one month. So that was a, that was a nice month. And, yeah. and I think for other people... It could be bigger numbers if you get a quarterly or a half yearly check or maybe someone's had a much bigger commission check in a month than that. But like when I got that commission check, I was like, yeah, this is awesome. The worst part, living in California and getting that commission check. <laughs> <laughs> Do the math. 40, 46% less is yeah. what I got. I got the other half of that, 46% with the taxes. So you need a better tax person. <laughs> Dude, if you're a W-2, you don't have a lot of options. But that's why I'm a consultant now. So, yeah. uh, All right. Next one, what has been your favorite job, in sales or not in sales? My favorite job was actually nothing that we discussed today. My favorite job was working at the Christmas tree lot in high school because if you think about it, the Christmas tree lot in high school was in the middle of Manhattan Beach, which is basically my hometown. Um, it was an upscale Christmas tree lot. I should I should kind of that's an important piece of the story right like it wasn't like home depot where it's kind of churn and burn and like the dudes are there like throwing around 40 dollars christmas trees these christmas trees were like 150 bucks for like a six foot tree and uh so it's a bougie christmas tree lot and everyone that comes to the christmas tree lot is like happy mm. you don't go to the christmas tree lot when you're upset like when the family walks in, the kids are running around they sold you know they didn't sell it they gave away hot cocoa and hot cider and then so they're walking around with their cider, walking through the Christmas trees. Um, and then everyone who came there was fairly affluent. So I'd take a tree, go throw it on top of a Audi Q6, tie it down, get handed a $50 bill and walk back in. Mm. And it smelled like Christmas trees. And I worked with all my friends. Yeah. The best job ever. And I'd make like three grand in a month. And at the time in high school, three grand, like yeah. Kanye West over here, like. I felt like I was ready to pop bottles. <laughs> it was a great job. All right, final question. If money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing? Um, you know, if money wasn't an issue, I don't think I could sit still. It's not in my yeah. DNA, right? Like some people say they do nothing. And uh, I would challenge that because look at people who retire. People who retire rarely do nothing. And the ones that do die, die early. Yeah. Stay active, right? So I would be active. I actually want to try and retire early and get to a point where I can live off this exact lifestyle I'm about to describe. So I would work part-time at a golf course, hopefully a nice golf course, like part-time marshal, you know, drive around and say, hey, guys, go a little faster, please. You don't need seven <laughs> practice swings. And then you get to play golf for free and you're outdoors and you're around golfers and you can talk to people about golf stuff all day. And then uh, I would also be part-time uh, brewery beer tender. I have a real passion for craft beer. I, I have for many, many years. And uh, I always want to get involved in the industry. And it's, you know, owning a home in Southern California, it's, it's, it would be really tough unless I owned a brewery to, like, put food on the table doing that. So I, uh, I would work at a brewery and I would work at a golf course, both part-time, add that up to, like, you know, 30 hours a week. Yeah. That'd be so fun. Maybe even your own brewery. Hops, hops. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> shoot. I actually, I know some people that own own breweries and they've told me to avoid 
They're like, never own a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe if I have that liquidity event, I can invest in a brewery and just show up and drink some beer. But um, yeah, running a brewery sounds like a lot. But getting involved in the back uh, of, of it and, you know, pouring beers and people walking up and saying, I don't know, like, I don't like hoppy beers. What should I get? I don't like this. I'm already that guy. All my friends know I'm that guy. They're always like, Kevin, what should I get here? I'm like, oh, you should probably do this one. You know, I love talking about that stuff. So that's what I would do. There it is. Biggest commission check, 19000 Yeah. in one month. Yeah. Favorite job, <clears throat> Christmas tree lot. Bougie. Christmas tree lot. Bougie Christmas tree lot. <laughs> and if money was an issue, two part-time jobs. Yeah. Working at the golf course and brewery. That's right. That'd be fun. All right. That's, that's a wrap for the inaugural episode. Thanks so much for letting me be your guest host. Right. Next time you guys tune in here, Kevin will be in the host seat. And if you enjoyed today's episode, write a review for the show. Share the show with your friends. Until next time. Cheers. If this episode is interesting to you, please share your thoughts on LinkedIn or Twitter. Tag me and I might just feature your post in an upcoming episode of the Sales Career Podcast. Or if you want to connect directly, go to hopconsultinggroup.com and we'll find a way to work together. Cheers. Cheers.